This episode of Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, is sponsored by Moon Travel Guides. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to build the perfect trip when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you are taking a short trip, exploring a European city, heading to a national park, or traveling to South America, Asia, or beyond, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Hey, Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon Travel Guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started? or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello, and welcome to Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. While our long-format episodes explore one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time, Trail Mix is the short-format episode of our show. It's where we get to explore topics we didn't get to cover in our long-format episodes, including history, science, environmental justice, and also interviews. Today's Trail Mix is a very special interview with Hilary Nangle, the author of Maine, Coastal Maine, and Acadia National Park, Seaside Towns, Fall Foliage, Cycling and Paddling, and Best of Acadia. Each of these titles is published by Moon Travel. You might remember our interview with Hillary from season four, where we talked all about Acadia National Park and its incredible network of trails from Mount Desert Island to the Skudik Peninsula to Isle Haute. This interview was such a special one for us because in some ways, Acadia feels like our home park, even though it's a good eight hours away from where we are. And thankfully for us, on a trip this past spring, we were fortunate enough to get to meet Hillary in person and explore some of the tucked away parts of Acadia National Park. In this very special episode of Trail Mix, we not only get to interview Hillary again and in person, we get to do it as we hike. I think you have a total elevation gain of maybe 165 feet on it. <laughs> so this is Ships Harbor. Yes. Tell us about why you love this hike. Well, I like it because it's a good hike for people who aren't avid hikers, aren't used to hiking, mm-hmm. or who have maybe a little mobility issue, but they can still hike, mm-hmm. or they're hiking with young kids. So 
that's one of the reasons because it's not a demanding trail but it's kind of, it's a good trail for all ages and all people you know it is not wheelchair accessible by any means or stroller but you know if you can move you can probably make it on this trail and we're in the western part of the park yeah we're on the west side also known as the quiet side mm-hmm. i feel like the trails over here maybe not necessarily this trail as we're starting it feel like compared to the east side, just a little bit more rugged. There's a little bit more work that needs to happen, <laughs> as opposed to maybe some of the things on the east side. The network is a little bigger on the east side. How did that kind of come to be? Well, obviously, you know, the east side has is the central park part mm-hmm. of the park, right? You've got the Park Loop Road going through, the carriage roads, and a lot of hiking trails over there. Mm-hmm. So that's the hub of the park. That's where most people concentrate. This side doesn't get as much um, visitation. I mean, it, it, you can still be on a trail here in a, in a July and August day. It's going to be busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also places you can sneak away on this side. I feel like you're hiking without crowds and without people and kind of feel alone if you want to. Yeah. Um, for, I mean, here it is. What is it? Like 8.30? 9, nine, nine, nine in the yeah. morning. This on Memorial a, Day weekend. On Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. This is a great time to get out and hike. Yeah. Right? You want, I've gone, gone by this trail and Wonderland, which is a very similar trail, different habitat a little bit. Uh, but I've gone by in the middle of the day, and the cars are all over the road, and there are a lot of people. But if you come at early in the morning or late in the afternoon, it's pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Early and often, always. Yeah. We were saying in the car on the, ra- on the way down that I think more than any other park that I can think of, and I, I think of especially true, especially here on the west side, the community is enmeshed with the park in, so, in a lot of ways. And we talked about this a little last night. There's sort of this like fluid boundary line a lot, in a lot of places in Acadia. But, you know, some other parks we threw out, like Cuyahoga Valley, Shenandoah, those are also parks where the community is right at the doorstep, like more so in other parks. Like, yeah, Zion has a park community in Springdale right outside of it, but Acadia... You know, people live live here. Like, it is literally their backyard. Well, it was carved from their backyards. Right. It was, unlike a lot of other national parks, Acadia was created by private donation mm-hmm. of land, as opposed to, here's a big chunk, well, we'll go this way. You can go okay. either way. Um, as opposed to government had the land and set it aside. Right. Right? This was carved, so, you know, people who lived here would give part of their woodlot, maybe. Wealthy people who summered here might give some land they own. You can walk into the park from any town, mm-hmm. which makes it a really wonderfully accessible yeah. park. I'm already a little obsessed with this trail. It's so lovely and, it's, like, and it's so, so green. There's just, for, there's, like, forests on either side, mm-hmm. and the, the floor is, like, covered in beautiful moss and also like pieces of trees that have fallen a lot of spruce needles something we saw a lot yesterday was the birch trees and how they like like when a birch tree dies and it falls over it like it rots from the inside but like the outside of it like stays that's a lot of trees do that it's not just birch really yeah yeah we've had some big old maples that's a ticked off chipmunk in there (laughs) Telling everybody else, people, people. For somebody who it's their first trip to a park, and they're never really done a lot of hiking or anything, and they maybe got the kids with them. What a wonderful introduction mm-hmm. this oh, is! Oh yeah, yeah, right. It's just and it's very flat. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of like um, very long, very like epic hiking days, mm-hmm. but we always try to get in like some trails that are that are easier for 
people who are coming with a family of six people who are like, we do want to prioritize getting out and introducing hiking or incorporating hiking in some way, but we don't have seven hours on a trail with a group of six people. Yeah. Of varying ages. And a lot of people, when they come to parks, especially this day and age, they're very time-pressed. Right. And they're trying to get this done and this done. And a park like Acadia, they're trying to drive the park loop road, get on a hike, bike the carriage roads, you know, make sure they see Thunder Hole, get to the Abbey Museum. And like, okay, this is the hike. It's a lovely... And it's... When you get to the point where you come out on the ledges... It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Well, I feel like, too, in that case, especially with being time-pressed, when you're able to, especially like in your books, provide that sort of, these are some things, like if you have this much time in the park, these are some things if you have this much time in the park, you kind of a lot for people to be able to have an experience that will be comfortable for them in the time that they have and then they can kind of pick and choose if they want to do something or don't based off of suggestions of someone who lives basically here and knows the park like the back of their hand um, which I think is so great yeah and it's you know I don't live on island I, I, there, there are a lot of little rules in Maine you got to make sure you identify yourself properly <laughs> I've lived in Maine since I was a kid but I am not a native Mainer, and I would never call myself one. I'm from away, and I always will be from away. And people who live on island, that's another whole group. And then the island communities have their own little mm-hmm. ways of sorting. You, you kind of figure out what your place is. <laughs> so by it's from not away, a bad thing. It's yeah. just, just the way it is. From away, you just mean just not on island, correct? Well, from away means you don't live in Maine. You weren't born in Maine. You don't, oh, have, okay, a, you okay. don't have a set in a local cemetery. Got it, got it, got it. But you grew up here, even though you weren't born here. Yeah. Okay. From away. That's so interesting. Well, there's... Uh, well, there's that musical, Come From Away. Right. Well, it's the same same concept. Same Okay, because right. that is up, was in Gander, Newfoundland, mm-hmm. right? And that's the same idea. Same people are from away, because you mm-hmm. get a lot of people who come in. And they visit and they leave. Sure. But maybe some of them settle. But them, they're from away, so they don't know how things were done. Right. Or yeah. how things are done. Right. I love this trail. <laughs> it's love. I mean, it's it's not difficult. No. But it's beautiful. It's so green. A very well-maintained trail. Yeah. I mean, what? We're looking at, like, four and a half to five feet across. And it's, okay. like, a maintained gravel trail. Yeah. It's really different from other parks... And other trails, I feel like. Like, yeah. I wouldn't, having done so much and seen so much of Acadia and hiked so many of the trails here, this is one of those little, little guys we haven't gotten to until now. But I don't think I would have ever thought, oh, we're in Acadia right now. Like, it, it could yeah. be anywhere um, in a lot of ways. But, like, I feel like we, this sort of reminds me of being around Lake McDonald's in some ways in Glacier. Like, and I love that about the parks. You can kind of find yourself anywhere, even though it's very uniquely a space unto itself. So I, yes, this is the interpretive trail. I was wondering, it starts in this area. So it actually forms a figure eight. So we're going to go this way. So we come out on the, on the higher end of the ledges. Okay. Shall we go this way? Yeah. Let's do it. A little violet here. Mm-hmm. Those are so pretty when they're out, just all in bloom on the floor of the mm-hmm. forest area. So do you feel like you're still discovering new parts of Acadia? Oh, yeah, all the time. 
there are so many trails and there are a lot of people who have, you know, going and working at finding what they call the lost trails of Acadia. There's a book on that. There are, when you go back to the Gilded Age, there are a lot more trails and a lot of them have grown over. But there are people who have gone around and found some of them. And when did the park start to work towards the process of renaming Ford's original trail names? Because we've seen a lot of that signage, and that's definitely yeah. in our three times here. I think the first time we've seen it, so it's, I'd imagine it's pretty recent, yeah? It's relatively recent. Yeah. It's been in this century, let's put it that okay. way. Going back to the original, trying to find and go back. And also honor a lot of the indigenous heritage right. here. Because this land was part of the Wabanaki, which are the combined... Micmac, Maliseet, Penobscot, and Passamaquoddy people. People of the dawn, because this is, you're as far east as you're going to get. Of course, you can get a little further east in Maine, but it's the dawn land. But you can see, see, you're beginning to see some of the pink granite, mm-hmm. if you look. it's Yeah, I was noticing it yesterday. It's everywhere. Yeah. Well, if you drive over into Seal Harbor and Northeast Harbor, many of the driveways have crushed pink granite. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> If you can afford it, you have it. It's nice. <laughs> it looks lovely. I do love a good boardwalk moment. I know. When you're over at the Scudic section of the park, which is... So, so Acadia has three sections. Mount Desert Island, the Scudic, which is accessible off Idaho by boat, um, which is kind of their back country section. There's a limited number of people allowed. There are only five campsites on island. You bring everything, and then you take it all with you. And then there is... Um, the Scudic section, which is the only mainland section of Acadia. It's a bit further north and east. Scudic is distinguished by Scudic Point. Beautiful point that comes all pink granite. It's absolutely beautiful there. Lovely drive through, some nice hiking, some nice bike trails. Um, and you can get there from Bar Harbor by ferry. If you want to take a day trip over, you can arrange in advance to have a bike rental and then bike through that section of the park. It's lovely. Nice way to spend a day. Without driving all the way around. Yeah, I think the, when we did it, we drew, well, we did drive all the way around. It was our second time to Acadia, and we'd not done the Scudic the first time. We were like, we got to get over there and yeah. see what's over there. It is. It's a little quiet. Well, it's a lot quieter than here. It's getting more discovered now that there are a few more campgrounds over there. Mm-hmm. And the park has a campground, and there's a couple of RV campgrounds now that are on that section area. But it's a far quieter area. And you have a, you get a different feeling of the main coast when you're there than when you're on Mount Desert Island. I you're, totally agree with you. Yes. Especially since you're going out to, like, Scudic Point there. Yeah. And, you're get, and the thing about going out to Scudic Point is you have the great views of Mount Desert Island when you're looking back on it, right? The round of oh, peaks. Yeah. Right. I think as much as there's uh, probably a push to, obviously, you know, especially for real big enthusiasts of the parks to try to do like you know the big trails to do the beehive to you know see cadillac mountain sunrise to do all that i feel like especially upon multiple visits here it's nice to find the kind of the off the beaten path things and really our second trip was a lot of that and we're kind of continuing that now which i find to be just so interesting because it's it's the overlooked sections that, I don't know, there's just something magical about them. Like the West Side Trails, uh, Beach and Bernard and Mansell, those were just some really great hikes that when we were there, it, it didn't seem that anyone else was, we were kind of the solo hikers on the trail. Even right now, it feels like it's just so quiet here, which it just brings you back to the solitude and the beauty of nature. 
Now, people complain that, you know, oh, the parks are too busy. It's like, well, they're busy if you're going to go to the place everybody goes. Right. But if you take five minutes and find a ranger, stop at the visitor center, talk to somebody and say, I'd like to go somewhere quieter. What trails are less utilized? They'll be happy to recommend them to you. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are over this side. You may not have the big, dramatic views that you get on the other side, but you have a d different experience. I mean, the perpendicular trail is an architectural wonder of trail building. It's lined with coping stones. A friend of mine counted, I think there are a thousand steps on it. And it's beautiful. It zigzags up Mansell, right up the face. Perpendicular trail kind of gives you a hint. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, there's a lot of trails over in that area that you can connect to from there. Um, and there you can come in from different parking lots. So if one parking lot is too full, go to another or go yeah. to another. And you'll, you'll find one that doesn't have as many cars and you can get in. Because the other plus of that is the reason those parking lots are busy is because that's one place the Island Explorer bus service doesn't go. Got it. So mm. even if you've got what looks like, oh my goodness, you know, they're, like the one trailhead, I think it takes maybe six cars. And you're like, oh, it's going to be busy. No. <laughs> you can access so much from there. You're not getting people just riding the bus and coming in, getting right. dropped off. Well, I think that's the one thing, too, for the both of us. And I'm sure anybody that comes to the park that's always been so interesting is the interconnected network and how you can do so many things like there's so many ways to get to one space even yesterday when we had hiked flying mountain when we did that i was like oh we can do acadia mountain from here if we want you could just tack on what you want or you can just end where you feel like you need to and that was perfect like we didn't have the time to get to acadia mountain too but it was perfect to just be able to do that loop um, and to be able to experience what we were experiencing in a compressed amount of time. Like, there's so many ways to do Acadia. Yes. And there, one of the great things about the bus service, which runs from like mid-June to into October, is that you can stay. I'm going to start here and just have a copy of that map or have it on your phone of where the bus picks up. And you can just take whatever trails you feel like, end up, and you know the bus is going to be there if you're yeah. coming out yeah. of the trail spot. Well, I feel like that also adds to, you know, you think about a lot of the parks that have a tram or a bus service. You think about Zion, you think about Yosemite, and I feel like that just adds to the sustainability factor here. And it also probably makes it a lot easier for people to just yeah. do things, get to places, without feeling like a car is needed. We've made it to the shore. Um, it's beautiful. Oh. This is a great place for tide pooling, too, if you've got uh, little kids or curious adults. Tide pooling yes. is great. <laughs> so they have a sign here that tells who the tenants are. You, you, know, you can kind of look for an urchin, periwinkles, barnacles, rock crabs, mussels. Blue, blue mussels, yeah. Welks, tortoiseshell, limpets. Oh, a crumb of bread sponge. That's a new one to me. But, yeah, it's just look, don't touch. But oh, very cool. It's lovely. So it's a rocky shore, but it's all pink granite rock. Yeah, there it is. It's just beautiful. When the light hits it right. So if you come like later in the afternoon when the sun is a little lower in the sky, it's just beautiful, you know. Mm. But this is where I usually tell people, just go out, pick a rock, contemplate life, yeah. <laughs> existence. <laughs> Harbor Trail, and right now we're sitting on the pink granite ledges right at the mouth of Ship Harbor. As you can see, there's a little channel that goes in, and it's a very protected little harbor. So a great place, you know, to take a boat in a storm if you know what the tides are and the depths are and all that. But 
how it got its name. So the story begins in 1741 in Northern Ireland when a group of Scots-Irish, you know, facing starvation from the potato famine and disgruntled by being unable to own land, hold office, and all the things they were discriminated against, even Mary, decided to follow God's grand design and head to the American colonies. The ship, the grand design, embarked from Ireland for Philadelphia. The 200 to 310-ton ship carried about 200 passengers, most were wealthy or distinguished in some manner, along with their servants and possessions. And a cargo of Irish lace, of course, because you can't go anywhere without your Irish lace, right? <laughs> On a I feel like that's an ad coming in. <laughs> Irish lace. Irish lace. Never, <laughs> never leave home without it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so a fierce autumn storm forced the ship into the pink granite ledges here, Ship Harbor. Um, and all were able to escape to the shore. And the land was true wilderness at that point. They salvaged what they could from the ship and hastened to make shelter. When no aid arrived, the captain and a hundred hardy men set out to get to the mainland. None was ever heard from again. Although the survivors were able to barter a bit with Native Americans, the language differences made it impossible to truly explain their situation and needs. Eventually, they sent letters with Native Americans, and after a winter during which many died, rescue came from Warren, a town in Midcoast, Maine. Great story, huh? Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, no. It's not exactly true. <laughs> um, <laughs> this version of the shipwreck, the shipwreck happened, but um, was shared by historian Cyrus Eaton in Warren's 18, the town where, right, the town where they went, 1853 town annals, and has been repeated since. What actually happened is the ship named the Martha and Eliza, not the Grand Design, was wrecked on Mount Desert Island, but further down east on the island off Grand Manon, Canada, which is a huge island off that way. Um, now, Captain Rowan, who was a total scoundrel, and his crew fled on a longboat, leaving the passengers to fend for themselves. After a few weeks of excessive drinking, the captain and guys returned to plunder what was left aboard. The castaways bartered all their possessions, including their clothes, in payment for rescue. Unfortunately, some women and men were off foraging, so only 48 survivors were brought to Cushing, another mid-coast town, which is adjacent to Warren, and left all but naked, you know, basically just in their underclothes because they bartered everything else away. But they still had their Irish lace. Yeah, I'm sure yep. they did. <laughs> yeah. It's probably t- quite tattered at this point, but... By spring, the survivors of those, the few that, the ones that were left behind, were only women. That's when a Passamaquoddy hunting party took letters from the women, paddled roughly 100 miles to St. George in Midcoast, Maine, and delivered them. A rescue was organized for the 10 women and infant child left behind. And the evil Captain Rowan? He went on to become governor of North Carolina in 1758. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great story? politics. That is a great story. I was researching it. I'm like, there's something that's not ringing true. So I just kept researching and digging. And then I found the other story. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. That makes sense. <laughs> right. I'm fascinated by like what, what happens. I mean, they, I guess they talk about this in like history classes, right? But like what happens versus what gets talked about versus what gets passed down versus what gets written down. Yes. It's like when you're it's a like kid telephone. playing telephone. Yeah, literally. So everything's watered down, yeah. you know? Yeah. Everything changes. So, you know, name of the ship, the place it was wrecked, how the, you know, everything, everything was just. Well, obviously the first story is like so great and it's full idyllic. of mystery. Yeah. And yes. like, oh, they were never heard of again. Yeah. And like, it's <laughs> such like a campfire story. Mm-hmm. Also, we're kind of sitting on rocks right now, like in a campfire, mm-hmm. like circle. There's no campfire, but no. there is a, we're in a circle. Just the fire of um, 
Love and friendship. <laughs> right. <laughs> This has been Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at gaze at the national parks to contact us email us at gaze at the national parks at gmail.com and to find out more about the parks visited on this show visit our website gaze at the national parks.com that's gaze g-a-z-e all original artwork featured on instagram on our website and in the gaze shop is by michael ryan all original music was written and performed by dave seaman and mariella klinger with sean Sklios on guitar our music producer is skylar fortgang This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Middlesex County, New Jersey.